So I said we're going to look at what St. Thomas Aquinas, the great Dominican theologian, probably the preeminent theologian in the church, we're going to look at what he said was the most difficult objection to the existence of God that we could raise. He actually said there were two. We're not going to talk about the second one, but we are going to focus on the first one. And namely, it was the question of the problem of evil. If there is an all-good, all-loving God, why is there evil in the world? Now, partly we can answer the question because in his love, God created us to be in his image and likeness, which means we have to have free will. And we're not really free if God swoops in and makes choices for us. God always respects our freedom. And so there are many things we can look at and say, well, human beings made bad choices. They had consequences. They impacted other people. Okay, we get that. But what about things that don't appear to be the result of choices that human beings make? What about natural disasters, for example? We don't generally choose to create a natural disaster. They happen, and people suffer as a result. What about a young child who gets a terminal disease? That's a difficult problem. Couldn't God at least prevent those things? Well, the challenging part is the answer is yes, of course he can. Why does he not? He does not because some greater good could come from it. And so he doesn't cause evil, but he permits evil so that some greater good may be realized. Now, we don't always see what that greater good is. I have got a, a list of things that have happened in my life as a priest and before where I didn't see what greater good could have come out of this evil that many people uh, experienced. Nothing worse than parents who had to mourn the death of their, their children, really at any age. It, it's not anything that ever gets easier. We think it might, but it doesn't. That being said, it draws then our attention to this first reading, which may seem a little odd, this reading from the prophet Isaiah. The Lord was pleased to crush him in infirmity. Well, that doesn't sound like a very loving God, one who wants to crush in infirmity to boot. But we have to understand the deeper context that Isaiah is speaking. We get a little tiny bit of this 53rd chapter of Isaiah, but there's a much bigger thing going on, and namely it is this, that this one who is experiencing the penalty of guilt is innocent. And if that sounds familiar to us, it should, because that's Jesus. The Lord Jesus suffered and died for our sins. Why did God permit that? Jesus was the divine Son of God. He was fully human. He was not capable of sin. It seems absolutely inconceivable that Jesus should have to suffer, but he does. Why? Because by permitting this evil action to occur for Jesus, 
we have the possibility opened to us of salvation. Now, that may not always make us feel better, but it should. I don't know about you, but I know in my own life, I don't always have it all together. This may come as a shock, but I sin. And I don't sin by accident, because that's impossible. I always, when I sin, I sin on purpose, because that's what sin is. I choose to reject God. I choose to do what I believe is right, even when I know it is not what God believes is right. Jesus could have rightly condemned us and said, well, you sinned, you fell short, too bad for you. But God's love is so powerful that he offers us the gift of salvation we do not deserve. God offers us the gift of salvation we can in no way earn. That's really what the second reading from the letter to the Hebrews is kind of helping us to understand. That rather than allow us to wallow in our sinfulness and to be condemned, Jesus came down to earth, took on our humanity, put up with all of the challenging things that come with being human. Both those wonderful things that could be celebrated, but the more difficult things that were hard to understand. But he took that on, and he took that on to tell us what is the message of the Bible to us over and over and over again from God. What is it that the Bible's message is throughout the entirety of the Bible? God loves us. And God does not love us just a little bit. God does not love us just a tiny amount. God's love is excessive. God's love is spectacular. God's love for each one of us is not because we haven't sinned. In fact, when we sin, God still loves us, which is something that's much more difficult sometimes for me to understand. When someone wrongs me, I don't always leap to the conclusion that I still love them. I might even say a few choice words, which then sends me to the confessional. But I don't do that. I know I should, because that's the way God loves. What we want in our life is the shortcut. We want the glory that awaits us in eternal life, and we want it now. We don't want to wait. And we hear the apostles weren't very good at waiting either. Peter says, why can't I follow you now, Lord, later in the Gospel of John? James and John are saying to Jesus, we want the best reward. We want to sit at your right and at your left. They don't even know what they're asking. They want the shortcut. Jesus even tells them, after he has just explained to them what it means to be the Son of God, that he's going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, and their next response is, well, you know what, when that happens, we want to be at the top place. No empathy whatsoever. Jesus is talking about his death and suffering, and they're thinking about it, well, what's in it for me? Fortunately, God loves them, and God loves us. 
even though he knows what's awaiting them and tells them, he reminds them that most often in our lives, we have to remember, in fact, always we have to remember, we do not think like God thinks. They're going to suffer and die. They're going to become martyrs for the faith. They're going to have a high place in heaven because of their faithfulness to Jesus. But they're not going to get the shortcut. And neither are we. We have to ask ourselves, how is it that I allow Jesus to come into my heart? How is it that I foster this relationship with Jesus by opening my heart to what Jesus wants to do for me? How is it that I allow Jesus to show me how much it is that he loves me, especially when things are not going so well? How is it that I say to the Lord Jesus, please save me, and in those moments where evil occurs, help me to remember to offer up that suffering for the evil that is still in the world, so that in my suffering, I might imitate you.